Welcome to Flip Your Lid with Kim Honeycutt. Kim is a psychotherapist and executive director of ICU Talks, a mental health speaking ministry. This is a podcast about how to flip your lid and learning how to reconnect to who you really are. Okay, listeners, so today's really special. And I'm going to ask that you just sit in love and tolerance as my friend Dante Stewart and I are going to have a tough conversation. And I'm going to tell you part of why it's tough. Y'all, i got to tell you, he did his undergraduate work at Clemson. Yeah, I said it. I said it. I am a Gamecock sitting here talking to a young man who only went to Clemson. Also played football, my understanding, which, you know, they're kind of known for that that football team that they have. So anyway, he and I are both in South Carolina. He's amazing. I want to tell you real quick that he wrote a book called Shouting in the Fire. He has His work's been shown on CNN. He has been a part of Washington Post, a sojourner. He has been labeled by Religion News as one of the top 10 influencers in the world of religion. And so it's just an honor to be able to sit with a South Carolinian uh, a friend of mine and a guy that just has an ability to speak his story in a way that people can digest it. So, Dante, thank you for hanging out with me and joining our audience. Oh, it's so good to be with you. I'm glad to be here. Yeah, it's really, really good. And I'm not going to give you a hard time about, you know, Gamecock uh, country <laughs> or whatever. Um, you know, I have family. I have family that's uh, South Carolina Gamecocks, and and the great Nikki Finney, uh, the poet, the great Nikki Finney is is a professor there. Um, and I mean, South Carolina has a great, um, long history. I won't call it great. I won't really call it great, but South Carolina has a history of, in some sense, being 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 a incredible school for South Carolina for South Carolinians and yes and, and things like that uh listen so, yeah, Donna you're being too time. nice listen we don't win yeah. anything but I'm a nice deep. person I'm a nice person I'm a competitor but I'm very you, nice you are competitive but just know that we're aware we don't win anything besides our DUI cases we know that mm. so you know actually I never even my whole time playing at Clemson I was those years where y'all beat us five times in a row really yes yeah, so I'd never beat South Carolina my whole career wow well today yeah. you today is a day that we get to come together. We yeah. both get to be winners. Hey, I love it. <laughs> I love it, dude. Mr. Rogers' neighborhood. That's right. That's where Everybody we are. It would be nice. A place where we get to be safe. So mm-hmm. let me ask you the only guaranteed question for today, and let's just see where this goes. Mm-hmm. Tell me a little bit about what flipped your lid and what measures you've had to take in life to reconnect to who you really are. Mm-hmm. Yeah, when I when when I even think about that question. What flipped my lid? Uh, I think the first place I go to this season that I'm in right now, and it it probably was the death of one of my friends. Mm. Um, His name was David Patton or is David Patton. And, you know, he took me under my, under his wing from, from a very young age. And, um, you know, he played in the NFL, South Carolina as well. Um, you know, every, every off season, we would train together. Every time he came home, I developed like a deep friendship with him and his family. Um, you know, my first time ever going to an NFL game was he took me my sophomore year, all the way from St. Matthew, South Carolina to New Orleans. Mm, wow. Um, that's good. And, and was in the Superdome, met Drew Brees and Reggie Bush. Oh, wow. Uh, you know, I love Reggie. Um, yeah. my first time ever driving over, um, uh, well, riding, I wasn't driving, riding over 
uh, Lake Pontchartan. I think that's the mm. word. That's the way way to say it. Where we're like you know some kind of crazy being on a mm. bridge where like the only thing you see is like ocean. Um, right. and, and the person who also, you know, who 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 came to visit, you know, me and watching me play football, and and I ended up taking a kick back like a hundred yards uh, when he came to come see me wow. play. Uh, but then also a person, you know, who in order for both of us to grow, we had to grow apart. Mm. Um, mm. And, 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 you know, through the years of like growth of love of like, you know, a solid decade of like friendship, you know, we kind of parted ways and, and, and I'm not the best term and not the best terms. And, mm-hmm. you know, last year, September, uh, he passed away in a motorcycle accident without me ever really, or any, or us mm. ever really, you know, like making it right with one another. Um, you know, of course, as grief sets in, you kind of go through all these like calculations and conversations with yourself, trying to like prove that like, you know, yeah, the love was there, even though the distance settled. Right. And, 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 and try and like, convince yourself that you knew and loved one another as much as you remember yeah um and things like that but then also the months and months and months of questions stack with you know my aunt dying and my granddaddy dying and another aunt dying and dealing with all the kind of death and the grief and and the ways in which like grief has pushed me inward to kind of think about like the reality that there's a grief that's associated with dying Mm-hmm. But also the loved one, but there's also the grief associated with living, you yeah. know, the loss of like yourself yeah. and the trying to find yourself again. And in the midst of all the things that were taken away and all the things that still remain and all the lessons that were learned and all the things that you can't get back. And so in this season of life, for which, you know, each one of us now knows all we got, yeah. you know, it is always for me about trying to figure out how to make sense of like who I am and what I've gone through and what mm-hmm. I give the world to digest and, and what I don't give yeah. um, and trying to figure out the, 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 the relationship between those two. And in some sense, what if I had to do, I think in this season of life, I've had to trust my gut, yeah. you know, trust my intuition. Um, I'm not a person that believes that like, Intuition is something that is, you know, for a select few people, something that 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 is innate to human nature, though I think given circumstances and where one lives, one develops a certain type of intuition based on that upbringing. But I also believe that intuition can be taught. And in the season of life, I've been trying to listen to the teacher of my own soul, myself. Yeah. yeah. And what I have to say and do. Yeah. Yeah, I'm I'm telling you you're preaching to me right now because that's so much of what this podcast is about, the work I do. And cuz part of my attraction to you is that you're so into telling your story and acknowledging relationship with self and how many things happen in our lives based on culture and race and sexual orientation and and being in the south, so many different things, those variables that affect how much we're told that we are to be apart from self. 
Mm-hmm. It, right. And just the mm-hmm. mental health aspect of, of mm-hmm. that, of having to fight against that, that level of grief. Of, you talked about loss of self, of having to get internal permission to be allowed mm-hmm. to actually be who you are. Mm. No, 100%. And I think, I think it, it is like incentivized in, mm-hmm. in, in our country to, to not connect with yourself because, you know, if you do connect with yourself, you also have to deal with the things that hurt. That's right. Um, you know, and I think there was a famous James Baldwin quote where he talks about, you know, people cling, you know, to, 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 to their hate so much because they, they know that if they, you know, if they, if they give up that hate, then they have to deal with some things, That's right. you know, that they don't necessarily want to acknowledge. Mm-hmm. So from my I live in Augusta, Georgia now, and about five miles up the road, there's a graveyard that sits squarely on the opposite side of a church. Uh, it's a Methodist church. It's a small Methodist church right by the courthouse here in Georgia, uh, in, in Augusta, where I live. And then, you know, right right near that is a lined row of American flags uh, that align the street. Um, there's this museum that is dedicated to the history of this particular city that I live in, which is Grovetown, Georgia. And that graveyard, which sits across the street, which is in proximity to the American flag, is a Confederate graveyard. You know, every day I've tried to stop at that graveyard because I'm writing about that joint. I'm like yeah. determined to write yeah. about it in my next book. Mm. Um, because I, I think I want to write about it because... I've understand, and you talk about being in touch with yourself. I understand that that not all like grief and nostalgia is good. Right. Not That's all right. reflection or trying to reach back to the past is good. Right. You know, sometimes reaching back to that past means that you have to deal with the ghost of the mm-hmm. past mm-hmm. Uh, that live as the shadows of the present. Right. Um, if we if we think about the world that's this kind of you know tier universe of which you know religious people think of the world that way, even though we don't think of it that way, yeah. I mean we really have a concept of the world as a tier universe. You have the humans, you have mm-hmm. angels and demons, then you have the divine and Satan in this kind of cosmic battle, you know, yeah. against one another for good and evil. Um, and and if we think about you know life as this kind of like like tier universe, we we understand that like, you know that 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 history is not history per mm-hmm. se. Yeah, uh, it is it is always woven and tethered uh, to these present moments that we find ourselves in, and for people to visit, you know themselves or to visit mm-hmm. what they hold within them and who has shaped them and who have made them, mm-hmm. then oftentimes you know you you would have to give up your idea of your own centeredness or your own kind of God-given divine authority uh, to, 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 to erase others, to disregard them, to disregard mm-hmm. yourself and That's what right. that relationship means for everybody. That's different for me as a young black dude in this country, because I have never really had the ability to kind of step away from the self mm-hmm. in, 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 in kind of ultimate sense of the word to have the safety and security of knowing that whatever past I've come from or whatever past person I've been, I can just simply erase that person as if they have no bearing on the present. Mm. I don't have that privilege. Right. I don't get that. I don't get that choice to do that. Right. And of course, there's the aspect of being able to run 
from that person, but one can never really truly escape it. Mm-hmm. And I would even say that those who want to hold on to the Confederate graveyard really can't escape it, even though they can evade it. But mm-hmm. their evasion is much more powerful, quote unquote, than mine, right. you know, because right. they have the ability to ban books from my schools. Right. They have the ability to change the curriculum in, in the schools that I go to. Mm-hmm. They have the ability of being a part of the police force and governing officials who make decisions uh, that are consequential in my life. They yeah. have the power to do all of these things that the world give them um, and, 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 and do it with, with kind of any sense of, without any sense of accountability and responsibility um, and go on with life as if everything is good. Mm-hmm. You know, but me, I think in this season of life, as I'm thinking about like, you know, this incentive of like running from like grief and running from the self and running from almost redefining those things. You know, I don't think any of us in, in an ultimate sense can really run. And I think our liberation is in mm-hmm. our ability to stop running, mm-hmm. uh, to face ourselves, to face who we were, what we are right now in this present moment, what we wish we would have been, what didn't happen what we are afraid of, what we most concerned about, what we hold most dear and most precious, most precious, and look at those things, those questions, and be self-critical of ourselves, but also go through a ritual of unearthing mm-hmm. and redefining what it means to be a person, what it means to be Christian, what mm-hmm. it means to be human, what it means to be American, uh, mm-hmm. what it means to be loving yeah. and free yeah. and just. Yeah, so we have, there's about 20 directions I now want to go in oh, and so yeah. let me yeah it's so yeah. beautiful let me just ask you this just the idea of, of talking a little bit about just what what's the about the mental health for for black people and the idea the uh, being allowed to be a part of mental health to be allowed to walk into a therapist's office just the idea for you as a as a black man when it comes to the effects of racism on your mental health the effects of what you see around you that a lot of people do not see. And I want to say this to white people who are listening. I know this can be a hard conversation to hear. I think it's much harder to be black and live in this country than it is to hear about what it's like to be black and live in this country. So I ask people just to sit still and listen to this. Because when someone shares what it's like to be marginalized, I think it's crucial that we not question that and that we listen to it. And just because it doesn't happen to us doesn't mean it doesn't happen. And so I would love for you to talk about how it affects your mental health, that you experience something most days, if not all days, that people are telling you you're not experiencing. Mm, I, I, think, I think there's a part of like my lived experience where I am not ultimately around those people who don't believe me. Yeah. You know, at one yeah. point in time when I was in white churches, when I was in white spaces, I think I was around people who didn't. Believe me, but once I remove myself from those spaces, mm-hmm. you know, then, 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 then the power which which I became kind of cognizant of diminished in a sense. Right. You know, I, 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 I wasn't fighting anymore to prove myself. I wasn't right. That's right. trying to argue with people about the legitimacy of history. Yeah. I wasn't arguing with people about the reality that a constitution, that a document. Um, is a living document and therefore it's not pristine because it needed amendments. Right. I, I didn't, I didn't, right. I didn't have to argue right. that like, you know, I don't have to argue anymore about yeah. the reality that like this government 
uh, has been born out of, the, out of a disregard of an anti-black racism or mm-hmm. a disregard of those who are LGBTQ or disregard mm-hmm. of those who are poor. You know, in moments when I was inside of those spaces, I was cognizant of the power to which they exercise in the world. But once I removed myself from those spaces, I realized the power that was always within me mm-hmm. that I needed to tap into. Yeah, that's right. You know, Imani, right. Imani Perry has a professor, Imani Perry, Dr. Imani Perry, uh, has an incredible essay I would encourage people to read entitled uh racism is bad blackness is not i think that's yeah that's good i think that's the title of the article and what she's arguing is that like many people especially those those who 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 are white or those who are even black in white space and grew up kind of in white space you know those who 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 are are from apart from apart from any marginalized community. Mm-hmm. You know, when, when one is not a part of that community, it's very easy to look at what they go through inside of the world and what the world forces them to endure and to say ultimately like, yo, your life must be so hard. Mm-hmm. When in actuality it's not that my life in particular is hard, but like the conditions in which we both live are hard because one group has been able to exercise power over my life right. in ways that like they never should have been able to. Yeah. You know, my life, the world, the world that I create isn't ultimately thinking always about, okay, well, what do white people think today? Or how can I convince or argue with some white person today? No, like our world that we exist in is a real world. You know, mm-hmm. the black worlds that I read about in books all the time, you know, that I read about in history that literally sit above my shoulder. Mm. You know, each one of them are writing about, you know, the particularities of our lived experiences uh, beyond what Toni Morrison continually called the white gaze. And when one is removed from the white gaze, then one sees a sort of type of vibrancy and creativity and originality Mm -hmm. that arise from a community story Mm -hmm. and doesn't just narrate that story from the perspective of the oppressor above them, but what they have created of this life from below. So it's like you think about harvest and you think about farming and you think about Mm -hmm. the situations of farmers right now in this country, particularly black farmers. Mm -hmm. Yes, black farmers are in a situation where they exist, where their land and their money oftentimes was stolen. Also, they also till the land that is theirs. They fight against that injustice, but they also still create fruit and crop. Mm-hmm. They still provide for themselves. They mm-hmm. still go out there and make a life and make mm-hmm. a living. Mm-hmm. And I think that is the power of the argument of the ways in which like, like a grief that empowers us. There is a grief that destroys us in that like what people say about me and think about me becomes my own idea about myself. But there's also a grief that clarifies that says, I do not believe what you say. I know your history better than you. And mm-hmm. my your history is my weapon against you. Mm-hmm. But your history is not my history. Right. Your story right. is not my story. Mm-hmm. I get to determine that story. That's right. And that is the type of grief that gets me in touch with myself. Because in some sense, and, and, and I keep talking about grief because, of course, I'm working on a new book on grief and, and right. really want to kind of incorporate that language within mm-hmm. my own type of understanding of like myself. And even as I'm like, as I'm reading Ocean Vuong's uh, book, uh, Time is a Mother, I've been really thinking hard about like, okay, the grief, I mean, the, the grief of the action that happened against us, but then also the grieving, the grieving that self and grieving that process and grieving that thing that allows me, you know, to become something they never imagined for me. 
mm-hmm. that 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 I become a thing. I become a person that remains open to life and redefinition and remains open to the possibility that you can do whatever and say whatever and I will fight against that. But my life is not simply a history of fighting against you. Mm-hmm. My life is a history of the ways in which I live. Yeah, that's That's right. powerful. It's so powerful. Because part of what I'm hearing you saying is that there are groups of people who are, because they're accustomed to being, having power and control, they're controlling the narrative. You're working daily in your way to change the narrative. Oh, 100%. Yeah. 100%. Yeah. And, and I think a part of that change is being empowered enough to say that I have power to tell that story. And, you know, mm-hmm. that's that's the whole, back going back to book banning, that's the whole deal. Mm-hmm. Like when parents talk about, you know, you're making my children uncomfortable. Like what they are saying in effect is you're upsetting my own understanding of myself and what's right in the world. And I want to do whatever I can to mm-hmm. erase your story. Mm-hmm. That's right. That That is it. Yeah. That's, that's, that's it. That, that literally mm-hmm. is injustice. Mm-hmm. Like injustice is about somebody, some group, something doing everything they possibly can to make sure you lose. Mm-hmm. Indifference, on the other hand, is people doing very little to make sure that you win. Yeah. And so yeah. what we are dealing with or what we're thinking about, we think about like our children and what type of world we want to give our children like there's an injustice and indifference problem mm-hmm. like that 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 we are dealing with right now mm-hmm. especially when it comes to like people not wanting the story to change yeah. you know when 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 you when you when you don't want to hear especially me as a as a straight black man when I don't want to hear the stories of those who are lgbtq what I'm trying to say is like when I don't hear those stories, when I silence those stories, when I mm-hmm. when I reject those stories as if like their humanity isn't as legitimate as mine. Mm-hmm. What I'm in effect saying is that like I love the world I exist in right now and I don't want to have the imagination mm-hmm. to think about other possibilities. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. And and the, to have the empathy, compassion for people who have a different experience and and just to know I, I assume when you go certain places experience certain things you see things that other people don't see me as a gay person walk around what I see is because I'm checking for safety and we all check for safety right mm-hmm. but how I see things helps me know how much I can show up as myself mm-hmm. right if I have to try to pass for a little while, for my physical and emotional safety. And I know you don't mm-hmm. get to have that that privilege, but I see things that other people who are not threatened, but and within their own story, I see things in their story that threaten my safety. Mm-hmm. And people did people argue that with me, which again, I won't argue because if I'd argue them, I'm complicit. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mahana. Yeah. And so much of what I do in my ministry and we do in our ministry is ending the stigma against mental health within ourselves, within the church and within community. But as as you're saying, Dante, it starts here. It starts within me. It starts with Mm -hmm. me knowing the power of of being well and being welcomed. Mm -hmm. And so that's so Mm -hmm. much what I hear you saying so well and so clearly Mm -hmm. of that Mm -hmm. it starts internally and then you go 
and you you share that level of knowledge, expertise, and authenticity mm-hmm. that you, em- you mm-hmm. embrace so well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. And, and I think any type of liberation and freedom must mm-hmm. always begin in authenticity. Yeah. Like, I can't... The, the person I am cannot be free if I'm still bound to the person I'm trying to become. Yeah, that's good. Like, in in in, in the bad type of way. Right. Like, like right. there's a part of, like, trying to become a type of person mm-hmm. that is ultimately free, that's well, that's whole. Like, yeah. Tony K. Bombard would talk about in her book, The Salt Eaters, uh, someone who strives toward the future, future sane and well. But there's also a part of, like, a sort of type of bad trying to become the person I'm trying to become mm-hmm. that, like, judges myself based on the best in others and the worst in me. And therefore I look for ultimate affirmation based on their idea of what a person like me should look like, think like, feel like, taste like, understand, talk, be, and perform in the world. And that is the whole kind of idea about assimilation Mm -hmm. is like, like, like that's in some sense, like, like that's, that's what's so depressing about assimilation. Mm. It robs you of who you really are. Yeah, that's so good. Like it rips you away from who you are and it never has any desire, desire for you to become that person. Mm -hmm. And it tricks you and baits you until it gets everything, until it's kind of exploits and saps everything away from you until you're just another photocopy Mm -hmm. of like, a dominant group. Mm-hmm. You never learn anything about your history. That's right. You never learn anything about how you lived in the world, how your people lived in the world, how the people mm-hmm. who look like you learned how to be in the world. You never get to learn like how they thought about like God and how they thought mm-hmm. about the rituals that, mm-hmm. that sustain community. You mm-hmm. never really hear about like the books that they created and, 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 and the art that they inspired mm-hmm. and the ways in which like they created certain mm-hmm. type of artifacts of like being alive that yeah. you can see in the future and say like, yo, you belong to us. Yeah. This is where you're from. Yeah. And so like, yeah, I, I want to, and, and in my life, I, I guess like authenticity is about pushing back against that, like day by day, kind of unraveling my own self to say like, yeah, yeah, I want to be as honest and authentic as possibly can simply to fight against like, yo, assimilation is always kind of rooted in this litmus test of perfection. Mm-hmm. And I don't want to be perfect in a way that mm-hmm. robs me or steals me of who mm-hmm. I am. Mm-hmm. Like if I'm going to be perfect, I want to be perfectly me. I don't yeah. want to be perfectly somebody else's yeah. me or what other yeah. people want for me. Yeah. Yeah. You fall, getting those conditioned self to assimilate falling off of you. I think it's why so many people are drawn to you. And, and even and if you're speaking to this, even hearing you talk before about what it's like to discard this idea of a white Jesus, what it's like to deal with the fact that you had to be taught that that people needed you to believe that Jesus was white. Can you speak into that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, th- I, th- I think I think going through like college and even getting involved in like white churches, you know, the the, the idea of a white Jesus is like a given. Like, mm. like it's almost, if you think about the artwork in so many of these churches, um, it reminds me of a conversation that James Baldwin had in response uh, to 
the the Birmingham bombing um, of 16th Street Baptist Church, and he had that conversation with Ronald Niebuhr, mm-hmm. where he's like, yo, if this is the Jesus of this land, it's time to give this Jesus a new face. <laughs> and if we think about like, 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 like images and facial features, like, like the face of a person in some sense is what makes them most recognizable. Mm-hmm. When people talk about like beauty, mm-hmm. like they think about beauty first and foremost as a facial feature, right? Not a bodily feature. Yeah. You know, they think of beauty as like what one, you know, when, when you think about like, uh, when people talk about art and beauty, like they're talking about, especially when you're talking about like, like art, like hum, human art or whatnot, art, art that contains human persons in it, like, they, they associate beauty with the face and whatever, mm. you know, face you draw is the face that you want to behold. Mm. And I think this idea of like this white Jesus, you know, whatever face you put up in front, whatever thing you put out yeah. in front, whatever thing you believe to be lovely yeah. is the thing you most want us to be, but want us to most behold, right. be changed by and be inspired by. Yeah. And so in order for me you know, to, to, to kind of like dismantle this idea of a white Jesus, you know, I had to behold different faces. I had to mm-hmm. behold the face of James Baldwin. Mm-hmm. I had to behold the face of Martin Luther King. I had to behold the face of black people. I had to behold the face of Toni Morrison uh, mm-hmm. and help them kind of redraw, repaint this picture, even tear this picture up, mm-hmm. you know, and throw it away. And create yeah. a new face, um, yeah. as James Baldwin speaks of. And so, like, the dismantling of that idea was about, you know, doing what Baldwin said, giving Jesus mm-hmm. a new face. Mm-hmm. And that's that's courageous work because courageous. you have to learn how to draw. You have to learn new things. Mm-hmm. You have to put to use, like, different tools that you never learned how to use. Mm-hmm. You have to inherit somebody else's drawing and figure out how to erase the right things and how to do the right things to make it your own. Yeah. Um, and so like, that's a courageous process. That means like, I gotta, I gotta leave this community. I gotta learn different theology. I gotta read different books. And, you know, over time, you just kind of get to a point where you mm. stop asking those questions. Mm. And I think once you get to the point where you stop asking or, or trying to prove that question of who this person is to you, yeah. I think that's a place where you reach kind of true freedom. And I'm not really concerned about, you know, when when they ask that famous question, you know, who do you say I am? Mm. You know, I, I'm not as concerned about with that question as a, as much as I'm concerned about how are we actually going to live? Yeah. You know, yeah. How, how are we actually going to respond to ourselves and respond to one another mm-hmm. and, and respond to this thing? How, how are we going to think about ourselves and relate to ourselves? How are we going to change the world? Mm-hmm. Uh, which is a quote on the back of uh, Jason Reynolds book, Look mm-hmm. Both Ways. I love that question. <laughs> it's like that's the yeah. best question of faith yeah. is not what do you believe, but how are you going to change the world? Yeah. Absolutely. And, and it starts with your own internal world. And you posted something, I think today, it might have been yesterday, that I want to read. I thought it was brilliant. You said, we have to dismantle a world where mm-hmm. we believe God wants black people to enjoy the best of things in heaven, while white people enjoy the best things on earth. Mm. Will you unpack that? That's amazing. Yeah, 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 that's it. I I, I thought about like, like, like in that one little statement, there's so much mm-hmm. uh, about like, you know, when people 
talk about like, okay, so say like Jalen Walker is murdered, right? Yes, yeah. You know, and in response to Jalen Walker being murdered in Akron, Ohio, being shot ninety, shot at ninety times, and sixty of them landed within his body. You know, and 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 we have to be forced to kind of deal with that video of which. You know, the reality is that, like, I feel like we don't become so desensitized to these videos that, like, you know, it's just like clockwork in some sense, you know, and 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 we forced to kind of live in that, like, collective grief of hmm. this is what you force us to endure that we do not deserve. And I think about, like, you know, in response to so many of these murders, in response to so many of these shootings, in response to, you know, poor people living out on the street and not having the structural needs they have in response to uh, uh, women and children uh, being, being not being able to have access to the care that they need. The response to like, you know, even uh, Obergefell, the decision and, 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 and the, the, the literally living in a country where like your ability to be together depends upon a group of people assigning like you humanity in the legal sense of the word. Yeah. Like, like in response to all these things, so many people be like, you know, whether they angry at it or whether they're disregarding it, mm. like the gospel, quote unquote, is the answer. Yeah. Like, like, like the things that matter the most is the spiritual thing. But then when it comes to like, you know, things that, you know, white people want in this world, particularly those who are, you know, conservative and white and adjacent to those communities, they believe that their grief and their pain is worthy of being listened to and alleviated. That mm. their that their world uh, needs protection. That that their that their anger uh, must be heard on every level. You know, mm. Roe v. Wade literally is a long history of the anger of white people, particularly conservative people and those who are adjacent to those community. Their anger at other people being autonomous inside of a country that they believe to be theirs. Yeah, it's the same that goes the same way with you know black people. That goes the same way with poor people. That goes mm -hmm. the same way with immigrants. Uh, that goes the same way with prisoners. That goes the mm -hmm. same way with the disabled. Mm -hmm. Any of any marginalized communities mm -hmm. in this country, it's like you know people want to control them and 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 and, and things like that, and want to like disregard them. And and as mm -hmm. I think about like you know, this whole kind of dismantling of this world, I want to rip out this idea yeah. that like, we must wait for like your best life, like in heaven. Right. Like, like, right. like I don't want that type of theology. Yeah. I want my best life that I can live, possibly live right now. Right. And I want the best life I possibly can live mm. when I get to the next thing. Yeah. When I take my last breath. Right. Like, like, like that whole idea is like actually putting body on Jesus' word that I came that you may have life and have it more to to have it to the full. You know, what Jesus is saying is that on the on the the, the opposite of life is stealing, killing, and destroying a mm -hmm. thing inside mm -hmm. of a person, inside of communities, mm -hmm. inside of homes, inside mm -hmm. of families, inside someone's self, sense of self, inside their school, inside the communities, the structures, the country that they live in. The opposite of life is them being things being stolen from them, taken from them, destroyed in them. Mm -hmm. And in order for people to achieve life, then that means that they must live in a world that are Affirms them and that embraces them, that frees them, that loves them, that mm -hmm. cares for them, that has empathy for them, that treats them as if they're 
their, their reality is normal. And so like to this mental world that believes that black people must wait for the best things in heaven, uh, and, but white people must get them now on earth is also dismantling a theology that says that God is only concerned about marginalized communities being free ultimately in their spirit and not dealing with their material being. Mm. Like, I don't want a God who is indifferent to my material reality. Literally, mm -hmm. those mm -hmm. who are Christian literally are a part of a ritual, a literally thousands of year ritual that says, remember me by the material things I have given you. Mm. The body, the, the bread mm -hmm. and the cup. Yeah. Remember me and remember others by these materials. Mm. Do this in remembrance of me. He, he didn't say, you know, like these two things, do these material things. They should have mm -hmm. a, like, like you should in this, in this ritual, you should ingest it and you should feel it be a part of your body. Yeah. If that is the case, and that's something that Jesus did, then why do we disregard what others don't get in their bodies? Mm-hmm. And how they do not get the things they deserve in their bodies. Yeah. If we live, if we truly believe in a savior that is an embodied savior who, who, who live in a particular time in a particular place with particular concerns and with particular values. Mm -hmm. If we believe in that su such a savior who, who touched and was touched by others reality, who did not just, like liberate their spirits, but dealt with their material conditions, mm -hmm. then how can so many of us say that those who are marginalized must wait for their better days in glory? Mm -hmm. When so many of us, mm -hmm. and not just us, but I'm particularly speaking about white people, where so many white people are concerned about their children experiencing their best days right now. Mm -hmm. See, I'm not concerned about like, I'm not terribly concerned about like what one thinks about heaven or hell, mm. but I am concerned about what world you want your children to inherit. Yeah. And the fact of the matter is so many white people in this country in history are more concerned about protecting the world that benefits their children than dismantling a world that kills and harms mine. Yeah. That's, that's right. what that quote means. Yeah. That's powerful. If you are religious, mm -hmm. then your religion should dismantle a world where you believe a dominant group must experience the best things right now and a subdominant mm -hmm. or marginalized community or mm -hmm. intentionally mm -hmm. left behind community must wait for the best things in heaven. Yeah. If they're, if they're even deemed worthy to go to heaven. Oh, right? even Even if they're even deemed worthy, because so many churches, I can't walk in. And if for different reasons, you would be uncomfortable, I would assume, to walk in certain churches, mm -hmm. so, especially throughout the South, right? I want yeah. it. Right, absolutely. And so I just want to read this. This is, and, and I can't imagine what it's like for you. I know what I experienced when I hear things about Jalen, like another mm. black man, a black person, because also happens to women and children, mm -hmm. girls. Um, Jalen Walker, That this is in comparison to Ashley Deer. Both were traffic stop in Ohio. He didn't stop his car for the police, which we know has to do with trauma responses when people don't stop, especially what's been accumulated through TV news and all that. And out of fear, he did not stop. Chase led it for three minutes, my understanding. 
And Ashley Deer, traffic stop, didn't stop for police, lasted for 20 minutes. She ran through three counties. He slowed the car down at an exit. She crashes the car at an exit. He leads the police on a foot chase, but he was unarmed. She was armed. He has no priors. She has priors. He was murdered by the police. We know that. Over 90 rounds. She was arrested with the gun by her feet that she had used against the police. This is last week, as we know, for Jalen Walker, January 2022, was happening with Ashley Deer. I, I don't know how to reconcile that. I don't know how to not have a very emotional, devastated anger, over overwhelming reaction. How do you know this is happening in, in this country? Mm. And you keep going in encouraging and inspiring people. How do you do that? Mm. Well, first and foremost, I kind of start with myself. Yeah. You know, I, I, there's this quote, you know, I don't wait for inspiration. Mm. I choose to be inspired every day at 5.30 a.m. Yeah, that's good. And that's the time that this yeah. person, I was reading the book about writing. Um, as I'm just honing my craft and trying to work on my craft, mm-hmm. you know, I don't wake up. I don't try and wake up. I don't, I don't wait for inspiration, you know. Yeah. Every day I get up in the morning, my discipline is what keeps me inspired. Yeah. My my routine is what keeps me inspired. Mm-hmm. You know, it, we, we used to have this saying back when I played ball, is that like in life, if you want to make it on the field, you got to have that dog in you. Yeah. You got to have that dog in you. You got to have that dog in you. And what what is the dog? What is It's nothing but discipline. Mm-hmm. Originality mm-hmm. and grit. Yeah, it's good. And what yeah. is grit? But what David Yoon says, but a set of habits one is willing to protect as if everything depended mm-hmm. on it. Yeah, because it does. Because it does. Yeah, that's good. Yeah. I can't wait to prove another person wrong mm-hmm. about me. Mm-hmm. I must habitually mm-hmm. engage in a certain type of living that reminds me who I am to myself. Yeah. I can't wait for a moment when, like, this country will be better. Mm -hmm. I must habitually Mm -hmm. affirm to my wife, affirm to my son, affirm to my daughter, to my family, to my Mm -hmm. friends, that we matter. Mm -hmm. And that as, uh, uh, as, um, um, uh, his name is slipping my head. Um, Ah, he talked about that that there's so many I don't know why his name is just slipping my head right now. Um, I'll, I'll probably come back to it. But All this right. particular playwright, uh, August Wilson, literally August Wilson, uh, said that there are infinite ways. There, there's no experience or no thought, you know, in, in, a, in this American country that cannot be cap- captured in a Black experience. I could spend my whole life talking about the Black experience. Mm. And that's what he said. Mm-hmm. And he did it. Mm-hmm. I'll be it. You know, he, he struggled to think about black life beyond just simply black males. And it's on somebody like me and yeah. others to to say, OK, this was I love about you. This is what I learned from you. But this is where I must depart from the teacher mm. and do something different yeah. and write different and yeah. be different. Yeah. Like 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 I can't wait for like these moments where my writing becomes perfect. And in this season, I, I'm literally talking to myself right now. Mm. 
Dante, you can't wait for the perfect word. You have mm-hmm. to, in this season, write from the heart. Yeah, that's right. And the heart bleeds on the page every time I choose to show up. Mm-hmm. And I trust mm-hmm. the heart. I trust the discipline. I trust mm-hmm. the originality. Mm-hmm. I trust the grit. I trust mm-hmm. the dog in me yeah. to give me what I need. Yeah, It's almost like when I was uh, learning how to swim, my um, instructor told me, you know, I was, we were talking and, you know, I'm like, you know, how do you teach a person how to swim and things like that? And then, so I'm looking back over this process first, you got to show up. Yeah. You got to jump in the water. Yeah. You got to relax. You got to push. And you got to pull. Got to show up. Mm-hmm. Got to get in the water. Mm-hmm. You got to relax. Got to push. And you got to pull. And the thing I love and trying to reach right now and in that whole process is in order for me to get from relaxing to pushing and pulling, I must put my head down mm. and focus on what's in front of me. Mm-hmm. I can't be looking up. Yeah. I can't be looking to the side. Yeah. I can't be looking back only when it's time to pull that arm out the water. I can't look or I'm yeah. going to sink. So I think, how do I inspire others? All that getting up, getting in, showing up, pushing and pulling is about the various things that are around me, whether it's books, whether it's friendships, whether it's documentaries, whether it's events that I do, whether it's, you know, things that I listen to, music, pictures and images and documentaries and and being in nature and reading my bible and mm-hmm. and praying and meditating all of these things are about me continually showing up relaxing getting yeah. in the water pushing and pulling and i hope and i know and i trust and believe that once it's time to actually look up i will be much farther mm. than i did if i never got in yeah that's so good that's inspiration. Yeah. That's inspiration. And it's such trust, right? Oh, yeah. Just having your head down, having the trust of yourself and the God within. Mm-hmm. Dante, how, how did you realize that you had the gift of writing, that you had, that you were expressive? Mm-hmm. I think this goes back to being a youngin. You know, my, my mother, I come from a family of storytellers. Mm-hmm. I come from a family of deep fillers when it comes to Pentecostalism and yeah. when it comes to how one thinks about the body and the world, there's a sort of type of freedom that was mm. a part of like my childhood. Mm. Um, my mom and my dad love reading. I mean, my dad particularly loved movies and, and scripts and, 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 and paying attention to like the plot and structures of things. And mm. he, he loved comic books. Um, and reading and collecting things. And he loved, he, and I thought, I think about that in this moment, like my daddy, in some sense, his shed was like a museum, you know, it became an artifact of every possible thing. Mm. And when I think about that, when I think about my mom and my dad and the books and my granddaddy and my grandma, you know, I come from a family that believes that, that black people are worth something. Mm-hmm. And that whatever we collect in this world deserves to be dis- preserved. Yeah. And that that even if we don't actively teach you, 
you always have something at the access of your fingertips. Mm. And for me, I was a kid who loved to play with things, to explore things, to be things, to, to audaciously show up in the world. And so I always had that it about me, Mm. you know, that, that, that like, I didn't, I'm I'm not the type of person that if people tell me you can't accomplish something, then I'll be determined to accomplish it, especially in the season right now of life. I think it's like, because so much of like what I do is solitary. It's not like when I play football, it's easy to have that dog and grit and tenacity when you play ball. Right. You're in a community and a context of continual competition. And that's chiseled in you every day. It gets much harder when like you're a writer and you do that work mm-hmm. solitarily. And so in this season of life, I realized I'm not a person. At one point in time, I could do that. Mm-hmm. I could say, you could say, yo, you're not a writer. And I'll be like, I'm gonna prove you wrong. And I got moments where I'm like right now, and I, I work with mm-hmm. a chip on my shoulder. Mm-hmm. Like, like, mm-hmm. like, yes, I want to change the world, but I also, a part of that change is also taking the power back from people who believe that I could not accomplish what I am doing mm-hmm. right now. That's right. You know, uh, but but in this season of life, I'm a person who needs affirmation in order to believe that I can accomplish it. Mm. But but at the heart of it all, I believe I am here for something. Yeah. And I believe that I was made for greatness. Mm-hmm. I was made to leave a mark on the world. I believe that with every fiber of my being, it may not happen right now, but when I look back on life, there were moments where like things tried and successfully beat that out of me, but I never gave up on the truth Mm. that I'm going to be something in this world and people will know my name. Yeah. Some people may call that, you know, I don't know, arrogant, Mm. <laughs> you know, in some sense. Mm. Uh, but what I call that is maturity. Yeah, and I, I agree with that. I do think that that is part of where variables come in, that if certain people say something like that, we cheer them on. And I think when you're marginalized and you say that, people can hear as a threat. When mm-hmm. all it is is wanting to stand in the same space that everyone else has a right to stand in. And it goes back to... Mm-hmm. Liberation, walking away from the impression, walking away from any idea or belief inside of you, any internalized mm-hmm. racism that came from the outside into you, that shame mm-hmm. that you were mm-hmm. separating from that, not separating from who God says you are. Mm-hmm. 100%. And, yeah. 100%. And people do know your name. Like I've, like I love the reviews on your book. I love the people who have also accomplished themselves in the, the world of being a writer. And I've written a book. It's not the easiest thing to do. It's not the easiest thing to get published. It takes a great deal of tenacity and money and effort and everything else. But the you know your book and how you wrote it and the the vulnerability inside of it and the people who came alongside you and around you in that is such evidence that not only did they know your name, they know your core, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. that is even more powerful because again. If you wanted to fall into the oppression around you and be victim to that, because you have been victimized, a lot of us have been victimized, mm-hmm. you've chosen to to not do that. You've chosen mm-hmm. to be who you're meant to be, and I'm so grateful for that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. 100. 
And thank you for the affirmation and thank you for the space and this time. Yeah, it's just really powerful. I really hope people continue to check out your book, Shouting in the Fire. It's easy to find on Amazon. You you also have a website, DanteStirrett.com. Uh, that people can be a part of what you're doing. I know you're working on another book. Mm-hmm. And and really just tagging into you on Instagram and all the reels you're doing and all the things that you're putting out there, especially if people don't know what it's like, like they're having a hard time understanding what you're saying, what it's like to truly have to figure out your relationship with God, mm-hmm. who get, you get the right and draw the face of. Right, mm-hmm. that that to mm-hmm. follow you and learn. Like I've learned so much, and it's just so inspirational. So thank you. Yeah, I'm it's really, really good. Hey, I'm going to put you in the hot seat. That's what we do. I'm a cool. therapist. Let's we, go. Put, we put people in the hot seat. Cool. Too so, easy. All right, here we go. All right. So, all right. What is your best favorite romantic movie? Oh, my best favorite mom- romantic movie. That's. Oh, that's a challenge. I think, I think, I think I actually like Love Jones. I think it's Love Jones. Okay, good deal. I think Love Jones. All right, we'll go with that. All right, what is on your nightstand? Mm, um, I contain multitudes by Ed Young. Okay, that book. Beautiful, brilliant book. Mm. Oh my God, I, I, I am envious of Ed Young. That I'm chasing Ed Young as a writer. I'm going to write like him one day. Okay. Yeah. All right. All right. Okay. What surprises people the most about you? Uh, that like I'm like super accessible. Like yeah, that was surprising for like, me. That's I'm interesting. Like, I'm like like yeah. super like like I mean. I'm just a regular dude. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I, mean I think I think I think that's the thing. It's like I'm a regular. I'm a regular You're, dude. I like yeah. I like I mean you wouldn't yeah, I mean, yeah, I'm just a regular dude. You are accessible and I'm so grateful for that. And you're a regular dude. However, you you have incredible influence. And people are Thank looking you. to you. So the fact that you can still again, that's part of that. You're not arrogant, you're not hubris. You're just saying, I'm claiming. Who I, I am, it. right? And so I good, so good. All right, what surprises you the most about you? How, 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 how insecure I am, but how like, how like, when I set my mind to do something, I actually do it. Yeah. yeah. Like I was actually, and, and we could have got into this. Mm. I, I mean, I'm going to save this. I'm doing a little... Um, Ted Talk type thing. Right. Um, not Ted Talk. It was a Theo Ed talk on the power of uh, self-reinvention. Um, uh-huh. and, and I'm talking about like, like, like what's on the other side of risk. Hmm. Um, and, and, and what, what one learns through risk and what yeah. one becomes through risk and, and, and in my own life. And I think that's the thing that surprises me the most is like, yo, like, I mean, I'd be down bottom a lot, mm-hmm. but I I I have an intuitive way of crawling myself out. Yeah. Even if I fall back in another hole in five minutes. Yeah. That's just I'm so get out of it. It's just so honest. And this is how it's playing in the world psychology, because you know, we all have attachment styles when we're just kids. That my first attachment style learned by my parents is very insecure. I learned to attach to tasks, not connect to people, not connect to myself. So when I've learned to securely connect to myself, I can take risks from there. 
the insecurity Mm -hmm. is still in there. Mm -hmm. That's just about the task. But I try to show up from that secure place of who I really am, which is what this podcast is all about, what Mm -hmm. you're writing about, and that we Mm -hmm. can have the insecurity, but it's a part. It's not the whole self. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I totally get that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. All right. Last question. What is your favorite food? I'm mostly vegetarian, so I think I think I mean I don't eat like I don't I don't eat like to, to like I I guess the oysters in this season of life I I, I am definitely like an oyster type person. I'm I'm All real right. bougie when it comes to like I, I'm I'm, <laughs> I'm becoming. Awesome. Now that I'm an author, I'm getting real bougie. Yeah, you know, I hear you. It, I see what's happening. Food and, I see what's and, happening. And things yeah. like that. Because I'm like, I'm at the point where I'm like, yo, I went so long without a lot mm-hmm. that I want to like, mm-hmm. you know, I want to I want to know what it's like to go inside of a restaurant and not yeah. have to worry about the price. Oh, that's good. You know? Yeah, and I so love like, that. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm real bougie yeah. with it. So I'm going to get the best thing on the menu wherever yeah, I go. Right. I'm going to yeah. tell me the best thing. I'm going to buy it and I'm going to yeah. eat it. And I'm going to enjoy it. Yeah. Um, and not be guilty about about it because I feel like I feel like I'm not really good at like celebrating myself and I feel like I deserve a lot more mm-hmm. than what I give myself credit for. So my favorite food to say that, my favorite food is whatever is the best thing that's closest to being vegetarian on the menu possible yeah. in any restaurant I go to, but particularly like I am a seafood head. Like I got you. Like like I'm a seafood head. Like that's my thing is like you know, give me, give me, give me like some, some like grilled octopus, you know, That's or awesome. something like that. Give me grilled, I, I, and I probably, that might be one of my favorites. Like I'm, I'm a grilled octopus head. I love grilled octopus. Okay. So like, you got to promise favorite. me when you come to Charlotte, you'll let me know and I get to take you out and your wife and kids for grilled octopus. Oh, for real? Y'all got something up there? I love Charlotte. Oh, yeah. There's a bunch of rich people here, brother. There's all that kind of food. Oh, yeah, oh, yeah. yeah, yeah. I heard yeah. I heard about Charlotte. Yeah, oh, yeah. yeah. Those, I heard those... Charlotte got, got the bread. It's like a bank oh, city, you know? It's bank city. There's old money here, <laughs> new money. I will tell you. I will, yeah. I will hook you up. All right? Yeah. I will take yeah, you I got, I got friends in Charlotte. I got my dogs in Charlotte. My homies in Charlotte. All right. All right. So it's going to happen, right? That was a... Yeah, it's going to happen. Y'all heard that, it's everybody. Dante and my it's wife and happen. his wife all have a double date set up right now, right here. It's happening. All right, it's, going, it's going down. Yeah, thank you. You're exceptional and just such an honor to be able to sit with you today. I appreciate oh, it. Thank you so yeah. much. And, and and also, you know, thank you to your listeners. Mm-hmm. Um, the listeners make up any type of platform, real or imagined or mm-hmm. becoming real every yeah. day. Yeah. And so thank you to each one of your, your listeners, to everybody who shared this podcast. Thank you to each mm-hmm. of you. I'm sure you gain so much from it but then also i don't know if enough people thank you mm. you know of course the host thank you every day but i think yeah. it's important to, to to for us as guests mm. to say thank you and you know it's hard times and yeah you know to be able to like imagine you know community virtually mm-hmm. and things like that it's important mm-hmm. so thank you to each one of the listeners who, who share who show love yeah all yeah. that I appreciate that. And I hope all of you reach out to him and connect to him through social media and get his book. And to all of you who took the time, as Dante said, to make this worth our time and effort. I thank you. I know you've heard a whole lot today to help you to reconnect to who you really are. We'll see you next time. Thank you for listening to Flip Your Lid with Kim Honeycutt. 
please subscribe, rate, and share. You can find Kim on Facebook or Instagram at KB Honeycutt. To get an autographed copy of Kim's book, visit butyourmotherlovesyou.com. Remember, no matter what, treat yourself well today.